our world. Nobody truly knows where it came from or how it got here. Of course, we all have our own opinion of what or how it happened. Everything from a bunch of chemicals that happened upon each other and blasted us into a planet perfect for us all to live on, to it being the work of perfection of our creator. Nobody knows exactly when this happened or how old the world actually is. Some say millions of years, while others argue that it's only a few thousand. The inhabitants of this old world, through the many years of their existence, have lived through and witnessed some pretty unbelievable historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from serial killers to weird creatures that show up and destroy their lives. The worst creature of them all, though, just might be man himself. I, being born and raised in the Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond the pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. This old world outside of these mountains is seen its share of it as well. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey around the world where we seek out things that are not always as they seem, and history is not always as what we've been told. I guarantee it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is World of Murder, Mystery, and Legend. my good friends i hope you're doing well today thanks for stopping by and thanks for subscribing we've all heard about murders that are referred to as black widows they're the ones who sometimes have mysterious things happen to their significant other and when it happens they just happen to be left with a staggering insurance payout that lasts them just long enough to find another poor victim to be with just as the money runs out then lo and behold happens again and again and again at least until somebody puts a stop to it come on in have a set down let me tell you about something along those lines only worse and you'll see why as the story goes on now betty lou dunovitt was born in Roxborough, North Carolina on March the 12th, 1937 to Margaret Louise Smithwick who suffered from, well, let's just say mental issues and James Garland Dunavant, an alcoholic sharecropper. Now, how in the heck else would you be a sharecropper but to drink? That's a tough way to make a living, especially back then. You know, beat the dirt for a few beans, give half to the owner, then sell the rest for an enough money to work out a deal on some cheap whiskey, knock it back, and get ready to go again tomorrow. But when Betty Lou was a child, I guess the father finally had it with the sharecropping, so he moved the whole family to Hampton, Virginia, where he took a job as a machinist working in the Langley Research Center. Clearly a step up from sharecropping, and I think the man was able to give his liver a break by stopping with the sauce, too. Shortly after the move, little Betty contracted a case of the measles that resulted in her having fevers in the range of 105 for an extended period. This led to a hearing loss, which left her practically deaf. This also led to a speech impediment. Her grades in school suffered because she couldn't hear the teacher. 
Now, I must say here that I actually witnessed this type of thing firsthand as one of my friends in school had the same thing happen to him. In fact, that's exactly how we became friends. He would sit in his seat, never uttering hardly a word, and when he finally did speak, he had a speech problem. That's how the teachers figured out what was going on with him and got him the help that he needed. Once that was done, he excelled in school. In fact, he's a retired doctor now, sitting on the deck of his house overlooking the lake, smoking cigars, drinking 90-year-old scotch, and watching for old Boaz, the giant catfish that lurks in the Clater Lake, legendary. I suppose that I'm saying this because I can't help but think that if Betty had received the help she needed, there might have been a difference in how things turned out for her. But who knows? But there was another issue that Betty claimed. She said that her father had sexually abused her when she was young. Now, if this was true, it wouldn't have made much difference, I don't think, anyway, and she was trapped in a situation that left her really nowhere to turn. Then to glaze the donut, so to speak, her mother lost her marbles and was stuck in an institution when Betty was 12 years old. This left her to take care of her younger sister and brother because her father fell off the wagon and tried to drink himself to death because he missed his wife so much. Betty dropped out of school in ninth grade and married Robert Franklin Branson when she was only 15. She gave birth to a daughter named Faye a year later. Betty then claimed that the marriage was abusive and Robert left. That's when Betty swallowed two bottles of aspirin and tried to end it all. Now folks, here's where the woman should have been put in a room next to her mother in an institution for at least a little while for observation. But instead, Robert ran to the hospital just as they were pumping the last of the 500 or so tablets out of her stomach and sat by her side until she was well. They then reconciled and all returned to normal, I suppose, as they would go on to have five more children. In 1967, Robert finally left, and this time he meant it because he divorced Betty, leaving her with the five children to support without the benefit of an education or very much support of any kind. Back then, and I remember it well, you never heard the term deadbeat dad. It's just like they didn't exist or something. If they didn't pay their child support, well, they just didn't pay it, and nobody did jack squat about it. This left Betty to work two or three jobs at the same time in order to support the children and herself. It was at this time that Betty, who had essentially been a teetotaler, began to imbibe quite heavily in the alcohol herself. According to Faye, her eldest daughter, she missed Robert, and while hoping that they would reconcile again, found out that he had moved out and remarried another woman and likely didn't even remember Betty's name by this time. Eventually, Faye married at the age of 15 because apparently the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. After Faye married, Betty began to shipping her children off and other family members to live. One went to live with Faye, one with Robert, her ex, and some went to other family members, but she kept the youngest, Bobby, who was three at the time, with her. This was when she met Bobby Lane, who went by the name Billy, and was married to him within a year. Just three months in to the marriage, Betty got a restraining order against him for abuse. Sounds like she really knows how to pick them, don't it? And within a year of being married, they were divorced. But the two just couldn't stay apart. Later that year, they got into another royal rumble where Billy broke her nose and threatened to kill her. 
And that was it, right? Well, no, there's still various stories about how they finally come back together again into contact with each other, but however it happened, it ended with Betty shooting him twice in the back. Betty was arrested and charged with attempted murder. She somehow posted bail and immediately ran to the hospital to sit by Billy's side until he recovered enough to go home. Can you imagine this happening today, folks? By this time, Billy had changed his story to say that he had actually threatened to kill Betty, so the charges of attempted murder and had been changed to misdemeanor aggravated assault. And Betty was fined $150, and her 38 Colt Cobra was given right back to her. She then proceeded to nurse old Billy back to health, helping him learn to walk again as the 38 caliber bullet had severed a nerve in his leg, leaving him initially unable to walk or even stand up. By the end of it all, end of all this nursing that is, back to health stuff, had ended Billy uh, with the two slugs still in him, limped with Betty down the aisle and they got remarried. This time the marriage lasted one whole month and it was done. Fresh off her latest divorce and in need of a new job, Betty, who had bartending experience, went to a strip club to apply for a job. The owner, apparently liking what he saw, told her that in order to work in his place, she needed to show him that she could grind with the best of them. It being amateur night and all, and Betty being hard up for work, took him up on the offer. She hit the stage when the music started dressed in a string bikini. She danced around, twirling her way to the point to where she was supposed to whip off the bikini top and reveal the pasties that she had on under it. That's when the top became stuck in the pasty, and when she ripped off the top, the pasty went flying across the room, bouncing off the wall, bouncing off the table, and landing in a man's beer and revealing her bare nipple to the whole crowd. The never-say-die Betty never missed a beat and immediately requested that one of the patrons well, come up and stick it right back on. Sure enough, up staggered one of the members of the crowd who proceeded to fondle her as he attempted to stick the pasty back on with his teeth. Needless to say, this went over like a sideshow at a carnival. The crowd loved it, and so did the owner who hired her on the spot. Of course, it resulted in some type of an indecent exposure charge for Betty, who considered it to be the price you pay for doing business. Apparently, one Ronnie Threlkeld got a look at the entire Betty, and they became an item and were wed within a year. That marriage lasted five years until 1978 when Betty took the car and tried to run him over with it. Ronnie said that if not for hearing the sound of the car sliding on the gravels, he wouldn't have been able to jump in the ditch and save his own life. They were officially divorced a year later and Betty immediately married a man named Doyle Barker. Then in 1980, Betty suffered a car wreck that left her with what is called significant brain damage. Now, I assume that was in addition to the brain damage she already had, but who am I? I'm just trying to give you the facts here, folks. All of a sudden, poor Doyle went missing in October of 1981. Betty reported him missing to the Gun Barrel Police Department. Yes, I said Gun Barrel. It's a small town in Texas. Where else would something like this take place? You just can't make this stuff up. Betty told police that she and her dear husband had gotten to a small debate over some significant little nothing, which she couldn't even remember, 
and that he just walked off, leaving his clothing, money, and even his truck just sitting there. Police finally gave it up on the search for Dale, and the case eventually went cold. Well, at least for now, anyway. What had actually happened, you might wonder? Well, Betty had shot him three times in the head as he slept with the same 38 Colt Cobra that she had shot Billy Lane with earlier. Betty then called her daughter Shirley over in the middle of the night to help drag him out into the yard and throw him in the bottom of a barbecue pit that uh, was being built by a construction crew. Betty was even still dressed in her sheer negligee that she had lured Doyle into a false sense of security with. Then she crawled down in the hole and scraped dirt over him, probably pretty much like a cat does on his business in a litter box. When the crew shows up the next day, Betty greets him with a nice pitcher of lemonade and told him to change the pit into a patio. That's right, who needs a barbecue pit when you can have a patio? So they filled in the rest of the pit slash grave and built Betty a nice patio right over top of old Doyle. Within eight months, and probably before the police were even finished searching for Doyle, she had been sifting the sands of life for another man to love to death when she met Jimmy Don Beats in a bar where she now worked they would go on to marry. Jimmy was a well-respected retired captain of the Dallas Fire Department, and Jimmy packed up all his stuff and moved in with Betty in their gun barrel home, with the good Doyle Barker still laying under the patio where Jimmy Don sat in the evenings drinking his beer and smoking his cigars, along with his loving wife hanging on his arm. In an effort to make Betty the happiest woman in the whole USA, Jimmy began to go out and spruce up the place a little bit. First on the list was the bell shed over the patio. Heck with the patio, Betty needed a shed. Now, Jimmy tried to explain that the ground kind of looks like it might be a little unstable because it looks like people been digging around there and loosening the ground up. Maybe it'd be a better place to put it somewhere else, but Betty insisted that it go right on top of Doyle's grave. So Jimmy started building. Didn't take him long before he and Betty's son, Bobby, who was now pretty well grown, had taken a and he'd taken a liking to jimmy don by the way it didn't take him long to get the shed done since it was built for storage they all grabbed various things that were to go into storage boxed them all up stumbled over the grave of doyle barker as they filled the shed up once the shed was complete and full betty told the ever handy and willing to please jimmy that she thought that a wishing well would look good right out in the front yard Betty traipsed out in the spot where she wanted it to be built and told Jimmy to get after it. Now, just about 10 minutes after Betty and Jimmy were wed, Betty had gone to an insurance office to purchase a big insurance policy on, on Jimmy. I guess she wasn't about to be caught penniless this time if a marriage gets dashed on the rocks of life, but little did Betty know that Jimmy's niece worked at the insurance office. She went straight to Jimmy with the news and a manifesto full of warnings. Old Jim canceled the policy on the whole thing, laughing it all off, well, even despite the warnings from his niece. Now, I may be exaggerating a bit as to it being 10 minutes after they were married, but uh, just doing that to illustrate my point, it was a very short time just after they were married that she did it. Jimmy had already had plenty of insurance from where he's a fire captain as well as a big fat pension that would go to Betty should anything happen to him. No worries, Betty. I got you covered, he said.
Now, that was the wrong thing for Betty to find out. Jimmy may as well drop by the coroner's office and just laid right down on the gurney at this point because he was a dead man walking. In August of 1983, Jimmy was just three days into building Betty her wishing well when Betty asked her son to leave the house for a few hours. She had a surprise for Jimmy. I bet she does. Bobby, Betty's son who had thought the world of Jimmy Don and said that he'd never seen his mother so happy left for the evening thinking that uh, maybe it was going to be a romantic evening or something. When he got back, Betty asked him into the bedroom where she had a sleeping bag on the floor with what appeared to be a body stuffed in it. Turns out it was Jimmy Don Beats. Bobby helped his mother drag the bundle out to where the wishing well was, drop it in the hole that Jimmy himself had spent three days digging and had nearly finished. Betty had shot him in the head twice, yet again with the same 38 used in the other crimes. Jimmy Don was shot in his sleep as well, I guess because people have less of a tendency to fight back when they're asleep. Jimmy then planted flowers in the well while she sent her son to stage the scene. That being that him taking Jimmy Don's glasses and NG pills because Jimmy had suffered a heart condition and had a heart attack already to the nearby lake throwing the glasses into his boat, pouring the pills all over the floor of the boat, and removing the motor prop, leaving the motor sticking up out of the water, I mean, and then setting the boat adrift in the lake. On the morning of August 6, 1983, fishermen out on the lake for a day of fishing and fun found the boat drifting on the lake. They thought that it looked like somebody became frustrated while fixing the outboard motor, then all of a sudden they had chest pains, tried to grab the NG pills, and collapsed into the lake. Uh, so far, so good, huh? Within hours, a coordinated search was underway for Jimmy Don Beats. Betty was notified that Jimmy's boat had been found and that he was nowhere in sight. She explained that he had gone fishing and that he'd been having trouble with the boat motor. When she showed up to the lake, investigators noticed that she had pretty much no reaction at all to the fact that her husband could be dead. Of all things to ask, she then asked if she could take the boat home. I guess she's had a mind to sell it or something. Then she immediately went after Jimmy's retirement and his life insurance, but when told that she would have to wait until they determined what happened to him before she could cash in, she tried to sell Jimmy's house that one of his children had been living in since he moved out to join Betty in her gun barrel home. Once Betty again had to be told that she had to wait for him to determine what happened to Jimmy before she could do that. Then, all of a sudden, Jimmy's house burned to the foundation and was left a smoldering hole in the ground. The fire was determined to be arson. The thought being, by Betty, I guess, that in her infinite wisdom that she had, that she would be able to get the insurance money. Once again, since the fire was arson, there had to be an investigation and there still had to be a determination of what happened to Jimmy before the cash could be doled out. Maybe with her hearing impairment, she just didn't hear him the other times they explained it, I guess. Finally, after two years of back and forth with the insurance companies and the fire department over Jimmy's pension, Betty had Jimmy declared dead. This opened the way for her to get her hands on the whole estate. Just as the insurance companies were cutting the checks, police received an anonymous tip informing them that Betty had murdered Jimmy. 
Then a few days later, they received another one from a man who had met and slept with Betty at a local hotel after Jimmy went missing. The man told police that Betty asked him what he would do if he knew that he had just made love to a woman that killed her husband and buried him in the wishing well in the front yard. The man, thinking that he'd just made out with a drunk woman who had a weird way with the pillow talk, thought nothing more of it until now. After the man passed a polygraph test, the police were able to attain a search warrant for Betty's property. This, folks, is what they'd been waiting for. They went straight to the cute little wishing well and dug it up, finding the body of Jimmy Don Beats buried there under, complete with the 38 slugs still lodged in his head. But they weren't done, not by a long shot. They remembered that she had a husband missing from a few years earlier and proceeded to dig the whole yard up until they found the body of Doyle Barker buried under the storage shed, also complete with three slugs lodged in his head. Now, both of the bodies were wrapped in matching blue sleeping bags, and as we saw earlier, shot in the head with the very 38 that Betty Lou Beats had sitting on her nightstand. Betty was charged with capital murder and faced the death penalty if, you know, convicted like you do if you're dumb enough to murder somebody in Texas. Both her son and daughter testified against her. Betty herself took the witness stand, as all good narcissists do, because they're regular Pied Pipers who are able to sell fire to people in hell. During her testimony, she said that her son had been the one to kill Jimmy, and all she did was try to protect him. When asked how three slugs got in Doyle's head before he wound up under the storage shed, well, she just didn't know anything about that. Her oldest daughter, Faye, testified on her behalf. She stated that her mother just couldn't have done something like this. Now, what a pathetic thing to watch a mother put her daughter through. Something like that, huh? But the jury wasn't about to have none of that, and she was convicted of one count of capital murder, at which time Betty hit the floor and was taken to the hospital for and treated for shock. Yes, folks, narcissists actually believe they're going to get by with it, and when they don't, their body rejects reality as they by time grasping the straws as to what to do next. She was dragged back into court three days later for a sentencing hearing after which the jury deliberated for a long drawn out 30 minutes before returning with the death sentence which was signed and stuffed into the front pocket of her jail suit by the judge on October 11, 1985. She was never tried for Doyle Barker's murder, I would say because you can't kill somebody but once. After about 15 years of legal wrangling and singing the battered woman blues, which was something she only brought up after she was sentenced to death, and with just a smidge of Jesus stirred in for good measure to try to get the sympathy of the old folks, she was dragged into the death chamber, and I suppose a sign language interpreter uh, probably signed out the words of the death warrant as the warden read them to her, what with her being all but deaf. She was then executed by lethal injection at 618 on February 24, 2000 in the Huntsville death chamber. She didn't request a final meal, nor did she make a final statement. And like most executed criminals, she was cremated. Her ashes were then taken to scattered over her mother's grave. Well, I hope you got something out of our story today. It's another one that had to be told. 
If you have, please rate and review the podcast, and don't forget to follow us, please. Of course, you'll be following Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend to get this World of Murder, Mystery, and Legend podcast, which runs along with the same podcast name. Thank you so much again for subscribing. you helping us keep the lights on, keep the stories coming. I'll be back soon with another World of Murder, Mystery, and Legend. Thank you.